Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Two runners go for gold at the 1924 Olympics. Join us as we talk about the disastrous Dan and Dave marketing campaign, random facts you learn from The Simpsons, and why newspapers spin in the movies. Then we find out if Chariots of Fire stands the test of time. Sometimes James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello everyone and welcome to the Test of Time. I'm your host James Brief and joining me as always is our podcast co-host, our director, our buddy, Alan Noah. Aw, thank you. I am very happy to be here. And today we are going to be talking about a movie called Chariots of Fire, which I originally put on the list because I knew it's a movie about running and I am going to do a couple of runs coming up in September And then I realized that this movie is about the Olympics, which I didn't know because I'd never seen the movie before. But I was like, oh, well, we should do the movie now because the 2020 Olympics are happening now, even though it is 2021. Obviously, everything got delayed last year because of COVID. I have never been into the Olympics But I know that you are because before we started recording, we were watching a little bit of uh, old highlights and you definitely seem to like Olympics at least way more than I do. Oh, I love the Olympics. I think it's just a display of the best of what uh, humans can do. I mean that in terms of the physical best that we could do. Um, I love sports like uh, track. I think watching the fastest men and women alive is great. Um, Watching things I could never do, like uh, some of these uh, swimming events, like uh, the dives that are crazy. And this year they have skateboarding, which is interesting. But uh, it's very easy with swimming and these things. Who gets the most points? Who is the fastest? Who crosses this line first? I have to say, I'm not as huge a fan of judgment sports, just because I'm not good enough at it to be able to follow it. Because I'll watch someone and I'll go, oh my God, that's brilliant. And then someone does it like, oh my God, did you see how her ankle was 12 degrees off this? And like, I I didn't see that at all. I thought it was brilliant. So it's a little harder for me to follow. I can see that. I mean, I think part of my reason for not loving the Olympics is that I'm not the biggest sports guy in general. Like, I don't watch a lot of football throughout the regular season, but I'll watch the Super Bowl. And I'm okay with that because that's just more of like a cultural thing. And I'm all in for any excuse to like eat buffalo wings. Like, I'll always be down for that. But I will admit that when I'm watching the Super Bowl, I kind of feel like, a faker, you know, like, I don't really know who these guys are. I don't really follow these teams. I'm not that into it. And it's the same with the Olympics. I never care about javelin. So why am I going to pretend that I care about javelin every four years? Like, I don't like, I'm just not that into it. And 
I get it that there are amazing feats of athleticism and all that. It's just never been something that's really captivated me in general. I mean, something that captivates me is that I find I can cheer for almost any sport and almost any competitor on there, as opposed to something like basketball or baseball. I generally only care when it's the team that I care about. I get that. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm not going to watch a random uh, football game like the Bears versus the 49ers. I'm not really invested in those teams. But I can watch a fencing match or or some snowboarding event when I don't know the competitor. It's just really cool. I get that. That's fair. Um, Even just like listening to myself explain why I don't like the Olympics, I feel like I'm just being a downer. And I understand why they're cool and... uh, and all of that. But it's just something I've never been that interested in. Although I do have to say, while we were watching the highlights before, and you're like, oh, I want to show you one thing. And you put on the highlights from Doubles Luge. That was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. I did not know that that existed at all as a thing. Obviously, you were showing me highlights from some past Olympics, because that's Winter Olympics, and what's going on now is summer. But um, Double Luge is... a uh, I'm going to say it. It's pretty funny. It's it's an interesting sport just because you kind of wonder what is the point of one of them? Like, Because there is the luge. And, you know, contrary to what people think, like it is not simply like you hold on to the sled and, and just, you know, gravity does everything. There's a lot of skill there. It's weird when there's two people lying on top of each other. They're not like bobsledders. Bobsledders are steering a sled. One guy is steering the luge sled, but the other guy seems to be steering the first guy. <laughs> it's Kind of is weird. I mean, you have to YouTube it. It's hysterical. Uh, don't YouTube until after you listen to this podcast, right, Al? Yes, wait till after. I'd say maybe I'll watch more of the summer 2020 Olympic Games, but they're basically over as uh, as we're recording this. So probably not. I, ha- I really haven't watched very much. But like I say, I didn't know that this movie was about the Olympics. I knew that it was about running. And I am actually training for two races coming up in September. I am training for a 10K and a marathon that are in the same weekend, which is kind of insane. The marathon was supposed to be in May of 2020, and then it got postponed a couple times. And It just so happens to be on the same weekend as this 10K I was planning to do. So I just need to get in shape. But I thought that, you know, watching this movie would maybe motivate me or inspire me as I'm hitting the treadmill. And really all I knew about this movie was the song, that theme song that has become really iconic. And I just associate it with running. It's a beautiful, beautiful theme. I don't know if I'm saying the composer's name right. It's either Vangelis or Vangelis. But uh, this is a clip from Chariots of Fire. film opens with this uh, beautiful shot of these young men running on the beach and this beautiful theme is playing and watching it I'm like wow this is beautiful yeah it does have a very beautiful beginning uh so chariots of fire there's no chariots in the film none there's no fire I don't believe there's any fire uh no there's not 
But what it does have is it does have two British runners. One of them is Eric Liddell. He's this really religious Christian guy who's running because it's his calling and God wants him to run and to spread the glory of Jesus. And he's a very faithful young man. And then there's Harold Abrahams. He's a, a young Jew. He faces some anti-Semitism in his life and in his school. And when these two are selected to compete in the 1924 Olympics, both of them are underdogs. They're diverse. Divergent stories wind up coming together in these Olympics. Will they triumph in the end? Will their chariots be set on fire? I mean, metaphorically speaking, because you bring that up, the title of the movie, it comes from this old poem that was adapted into a hymn called Jerusalem, I believe, and they play the hymn at the very end of the movie. It's a fairly obscure reference. I agree, though. It is kind of a random title for this movie which does not have chariots or fire in it. Right, right. So the movie opened on January 8th, 1982. For some reason, on a Box Office Mojo, I, I couldn't get the exact records because it opened uh, internationally and uh, there wasn't really a clear date, but it did spend five months in the top 10 and it wound up grossing $58 million domestically. So, you know, this movie made a lot of money. Good to know. I didn't know that because it came out when we were two. Yeah, and when I said the opening scene had this beautiful running scene, one thing I knew about this film was that it had a lot of running in it. There's not going to be a lot more running in this film for a little while. Oh, like right after the beginning? Yeah. Well, they kind of sprinkle it throughout a little bit. It starts in, I guess, fairly close to present day uh, in 1978 with the death of Harold Abrahams, and then it flashes back to like when he was a young man and— He's going to prep school, and this is right after World War One. and he arrives at this prep school, and right away he's kind of butting heads with the head porter who calls him Laddie, and Abraham says, don't call me Laddie ever since I fought in the war, you know, I'm a big shot or whatever, and the guy kind of rolls his eyes and says, well, with a name like Abraham's, I guess he's not going to be in the church choir and Harold does talk about the anti-Semitism he faces, and we see it right away. Um, did you happen to recognize that uh, that head porter, by the way? No, I didn't. I also didn't recognize uh, that Abrahams was a totally Jewish name. I've never heard of an Abrahams, have you? I guess not, but it, it sounds Jewish. Oh, who was it, though? That actor, his name is Richard Griffiths, and he played Uncle Vernon in the Harry Potter movies, where he was also a jerk. Ah, and, you know, th this film really does have uh, a lot of the aftermath of World War One, And in our lifetime, World War Two is probably the most clear-cut, good, noble war, if there ever was a war that had to be fought. But World War One is a lot different. World War One, we're not going to get to the reasons for World War One, but I will plug Dan Carlin's uh, Hardcore History podcast if you're interested in that. But um, I'll summarize it by saying that World War I was just horrible, horrible death. Nobody won. I mean, Germany lost, but, like, nobody won because everyone had just towns that were decimated and the entire populations of boys that were wiped out. If you were born in, like, 1896, like, you had a huge percent chance of dying in World War One. And there's a great scene in the beginning at this uh, school because these are all uh, young guys. So they, they would have missed a lot of uh, the fighting. But they talk about that, like, boys that were just here, like, three-quarters of them are dead. Right, right. And there's this scene where there's, like, a 
run around like this campus square, I guess, and you have to do a whole big lap starting when the clock strikes 12 and like finish it before it finishes striking 12, like, you know, in just like the the 12 strikes of the clock, I guess. And it's never been done in 700 years. But Abrahams does it. He He's able to accomplish this huge thing. Right after he does it, the deans are kind of looking out the window. And they're like, oh, well, he's fast. I hear he's a Semite, though. Harold feels that people don't like him because he's Jewish. And he's got a point. Like, we see people who are kind of like, eh, I don't know about this guy. He's a Jew and all. But then we meet this other character, Eric Little, who's in Scotland, and he is a Christian, and like a very devout Christian, and a missionary, and he was actually born in Asia because his parents were doing missionary work there, and they are very, very deeply connected to their faith, and even though he runs and he's really fast, his family members, particularly his sister Jenny, don't really love that he's focusing so much of his time and attention on running when she feels like he should be spending his time and attention on the church. I have to tell you that I know that it's his sister because I read that on Wikipedia. I wasn't totally sure at first who it was. I thought maybe it was his mom or maybe a girlfriend or a wife or something. Did you get that it was his sister right away? I had to look at Wikipedia as well to kind of follow <laughs> the plot. The film is, it's a little slow. Some stuff's a little bit hard to follow. L- like that. I think they might have made a reference to it, but I did not know that was his sister. Okay. All right. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better that I wasn't just, uh, you know, missing something. Uh, no, no, you didn't miss that. But uh, he's a very engaging speaker. And uh, yes. it's it's one of the few parts of the film that you know really drew me into the dialogue is when he speaks he he develops a crowd and he's a young guy he could be a very very successful missionary like his sister wants him to be but he's almost you could say giving it up in his sister's eyes to, for this foolish pursuit of running I find it interesting because you'd usually see that the movie would be kind of the opposite where the kid like no dad I'm really interested in this and they'd be like come on you know you, you would need to push harder. You're going to go to the Olympics someday. It's my dream. I mean your dream, son. That's usually what it is. It's usually not the devout Christian sister who's saying, don't do the sport. You should uh, quit that sport that you're uniquely good at. Right. And I I sort of like the way that Eric frames how he runs and how he feels that it is connected to his spirituality and he says that you know god made me for a purpose and that's to be a missionary but he also made me fast and when i run i do that in his name and in his honor and i feel his glory coursing through me and you can debate the merits of that i mean i certainly get a high when i run it's a thing known as the runner's high it's from dopamine not necessarily the love of the Lord, I guess. But, you know, depending on what you believe, that's fine. But he also is right in terms of just how he is able to get notoriety from his fame by being really fast. That gives him an audience to speak to about his faith. And like you said, James, he is a really good speaker. So he's getting more people to pay attention to him because he's fast. So you can understand why he'd want to keep running even just if his goal is to spread the word of God. You know, like, it gives him an audience to do that. 
Right, and and he starts to develop some fame. We start seeing a montage of uh, these young men winning, uh, Harold and Eric. Then there's this race where uh, Eric is running, and Harold happens to be watching it. I don't know, does he trip or he collides with somebody? I thought it was implied that he was pushed or, like, kind of shoved by one of the other runners. Right, right. There's some little shenanigans in there, and he falls down. And this is not like it's a marathon where, all right, this is going to be, like, two hours you're going to be running. This is a really short race, and he's thrown to the ground. Generally, having done some track and field, you're on the ground. Whether you were pushed there or not, that's unfortunate, but this race is done. Not for Eric Liddell. Right, he's able to come back. And yeah, I think this is a 400 meter. So he does not have a lot of time, but he comes back and wins this race. And it's really impressive. And we should mention that this movie is based on a true story based on real runners and they took some liberties with some things here and there like all movies do that are based on a real story but apparently this is true that Eric Little was in a race he got knocked down and he came from behind and still won which is damn impressive and Harold is watching this race as you said and he's intimidated by Eric and he is like well I wanted to be the fastest but I don't know if I'm ever going to be faster than him But Harold approaches his trainer, uh, Sam Musabini, who uh, was there to see Eric, and Harold basically asks uh, Sam to train him instead of Eric. And this trainer is Ian Holm, whom I recognized as Bilbo Baggins from the Lord of the Rings movies. I actually first knew him as Frodo Baggins in, in a very famous BBC production of The Lord of the Rings. It was like a, some play or something, and I used to listen to the, the radio play of it, and uh, Ian Holmes was famously Frodo. So when he was cast as Bilbo, I thought that was a very uh, very clever little nod. Oh, I did not know that. <coughs> nerd. <coughs> Giant nerd. <coughs> Sorry, I just said something in my throat there. Um, but... The way that the movie was sort of framed at this point, I really was expecting it to be like this Harold versus Eric showdown kind of a thing where like they were going to be epic rivals and it's really not. Like Sam decides to train Harold and then Eric and Harold race against each other. Eric wins and this is only like, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes into the movie. And that's the only time in the movie we see them race against each other. Just like, spoiler alert, later on in the movie, they don't race against each other. I don't know, like, I thought that's what the movie was building towards. Did you think that? 100%. Do you remember in 1992, there was this notorious flop of a campaign ad for the 1992 Barcelona Olympics called Dan versus Dave? Yes, I do remember that, yes. So for people that don't remember, the shoe company Reebok, which back in 92 was probably the equivalent to Nike, at least in coolness factor. Yeah, And they had this major campaign. And the Barcelona Olympics are very famous. They were uh, very, very popular. It's one of the few Olympics that uh, made a profit for its uh, city. Reebok had this whole thing where there was going to be these track and field stars, Dan and Dave. And they were hyping them up. And everyone's going to be excited. Who's going to win better? And I remember the commercial. Because it would be like, Dan's coach says, it's definitely Dan. Dan's bartender. Dan's going to do it. Dave's middle school teacher. Definitely Dave. And then it was... Dave's ex-girlfriend and she goes definitely Dan and it was kind of funny and you remember what happened right Al yeah didn't they like both win zero medals or something worse 
One of them didn't even qualify for the Olympics, and the other got in, like, 37th place or something. Oops. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I was into that idea for this movie because you've got this Jewish guy in England who's, like— angry and bitter about his religion and then you've got this christian guy in scotland who is like passionate about his religion and they are both really fast and they have like these completely different worldviews. and i was like interested to see like how that would clash and you really just kind of don't like they race each other harold loses he's really sad but he's got this girlfriend. We see him falling in love with her. Uh, her name's Sybil. She's a singer. And uh, Harold also is really into musicals. He does some Rodgers and Hammerstein. At one point he sings, he is an Englishman from HMS Pinafore, which I know, and I'm guessing you also know, James, from the episode of The Simpsons when Bart asks Sideshow Bob to sing it. And, you know, I've never seen that show. I wouldn't know that such a show exists called HMS Pinafore, were it not for The Simpsons. But as I was hearing it in the movie, I'm like, oh, I know this song because Sideshow Bob sang it to Bart that one time. Absolutely, Al. Uh, Yeah, HMS Pinafore, I only know because of Sideshow Bob. Right. There was a question I had in medical school once where it was about um, rickets. And I had it down to two answers about which one of these symptoms was a symptom of rickets. And one of them was bow-leggedness. And Al, you would know that rickets causes your legs to be bow-legged, right? From The Simpsons. Right. What episode is that? I'm drawing a blank. It's from the uh, Who Shot Mr. Burns episode when they're saying, we're going to shoot the uh, disc down the blocks of sun. And Homer goes, yeah, and I've had it up to here with these rickets. And you get vitamin D from the sun. So when you don't have vitamin D, you get rickets. And therefore, I got a question right in medical school because of The Simpsons. There are lots of things that you learn from life from The Simpsons, some of them more practical than others. Uh So this conflict that I was expecting between Harold and Eric really doesn't come to pass. Uh, There is more conflict with Harold and his school administrators, I guess, because they're mad that he's hired a professional coach and they believe that he shouldn't do that because he should just be using the school's coaches and they're all about supporting amateurs and they feel that having this paid coach is unbecoming of a man of their school or whatever. Is that what you thought it was? I thought it was actually more that they don't like this Jew. Uh, Yeah. I thought it was a lot of Jew stuff and they found a reason to be mad. A hundred percent. I think they were saying that they didn't like the professional trainer as a cover story to yell at the guy for being Jewish. I think that is really what it was. And that's certainly what Harold thinks as he kind of like storms out of the office. Yeah, I think that was very clearly the implication. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, stories like this. A movie like Finding Forrester. And I, you've seen this trope before where like the yuppity uh, white rich uh, school will, will bring in a black recruit and they like that he's good for their team, but they're also so like super racist to him. They don't like him as a person. I've seen that theme before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, meanwhile, Eric is doing great and running all these races, but apparently at one race somewhere along the way, he missed church. One day of church, maybe not the biggest deal to him, but it's a very big deal to his sister Jenny. And God. Are you saying that that's what you think God thinks? I'm saying it's one of the Ten Commandments, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Which one? Which commandment? I believe it's fourth. 
Um, Check it out. I want to see if I'm right. All right. I'm going to Google it. I'm going to see 10 Commandments, Honor, Sabbath. Uh, uh, Remember the Sabbath day. Oh, Commandment number four. You were correct. Nice. Way to go. Well done, sir. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for the education. It was worth it for the Test of Time podcast factoid. That's why they sent you to Hebrew school, I'm sure. Um, So there's this conflict for Eric. But then Eric is sent to the 1924 Olympics along with Harold and some of Harold's classmates. And there is a heat for the 100-meter race that's going to be held on a Sunday. And that doesn't really sit well with Eric because he doesn't want to miss church. He doesn't want to uh, run on Sabbath. That would violate the commandment, the fourth commandment, as you pointed out. And he basically decides he's not going to do it. He's not going to run on that day. And what professional athlete situation does this, of course, remind you of? Well, of course, it reminds me of the Big Lebowski when John Goodman's character won't roll on Shomer Shabbos. (laughs) That's absolutely true. I was talking about a professional athlete in the real world, not non-fictional. Oh, Sandy Koufax wouldn't pitch on Yom Kippur. Right, right. I thought of John Goodman first, but yes, uh, Sandy <laughs> Koufax too. I mean, I, I was thinking of an equivalent professional athlete in the World Series wouldn't pitch uh, for his religious reasons. You thought of John Goodman's character in a bowling alley on a random uh, league game. But, you know, same thing. Yeah, I don't know. Just like the whole thing about I won't do it on Shabbos. So Harold and Eric, I still think that there's going to be a match between the two of them. But it turns out that they're not even in the same races. Right. And the race that Eric doesn't want to do because of the Sabbath thing is the 100 meter. But they are able to get around that by having him run the 400 meter instead. And one of Harold's friends, he gets a silver medal and he's happy with that. And he says, well, I'll just give up my spot in the 400 and Eric, you can go and race then. And that kind of works for everybody. Right. Eric had become somewhat of a celebrity because of standing up for his beliefs. And there was a situation this Olympics where there was a young woman who was disqualified for testing positive for marijuana. And, you know, it wound up being a huge thing where she was a big spokesperson and there was a lot of uh, push for, for her to be on a team. And I could see the equivalent of that. Every Olympics, the media is hoping for that story. And I totally believe that if there was this young champion with his convictions that he won't break his Christian values in 1924, I think the media would totally eat that up. Definitely. I mean, I was actually thinking of Simone Biles, who didn't compete because she needed to take some time for her mental health. And that was the big story of this year's Olympics. I mean, you're absolutely right. The media does look for those kinds of stories even now. Although in this movie, when the media is sensationalizing those stories, they have that really hokey graphic of like the spinning newspaper headlines, which just looks like a cliche and a joke when you see it now, even though I get it, this movie was made in 1981 and that was a thing that they did in movies then. When you see it now, it's just like, oh, haha, they were doing that like unironically. 
What is the spinning thing, though? The only thing I could think of is there's sometimes this shot of, like, the newspaper delivery trucks. They throw out, like, a case of the newspapers to the newsstand, and it kind of spins around a couple times until it focuses the right way so the camera can see the headline. It's the only thing I could think of, but why is it spinning? That's a really good question. I have no idea. My guess is that it was just the coolest effect they could do then. So that's what they did. But you're right. I don't know why they have spitting newspaper headlines when newspapers are not really known for spinning. Right. I mean, I assume that the papers go around those mills really fast, but not in that direction, I would imagine. Right. No, that's a very, very good point. Um, newspaper uh, printing uh, methods aside, we are now at the climax of the film, uh, which is the races of Harold and Eric. But before then, um, Sam, uh, Harold's trainer, he leaves Harold a very inspirational letter that he reads. I didn't really understand that because why was the trainer not allowed to be at the Olympics? He says that he was persona non grata, and I thought maybe it was because he was a trainer and the people at the school didn't like that. But then that doesn't make sense because that was at the school and this is the Olympics in another country. So I didn't understand why the trainer wasn't allowed at the Olympics. Again, I will ask you, did I miss something there? What I think, because there were a couple hints that there was a lot of talk about, about the fact that Sam was an Italian. Not only was he Italian, he was also half Iranian or half Muslim, I think they said. So that could be that maybe in France at the time, he just wouldn't be allowed into the stadium. Maybe. I have no idea. But maybe you're right about that. Um, But Harold loses his first race, and then he gets this inspirational letter, and he wins the 100-meter race. It's exciting. It happens quick because it's a 100-meter race, and, you know, that's won or lost in, like, 10, 11 seconds. But then there's Eric's race, which is the 400-meter, which is a lot longer than what he normally does. Normally, he runs the 100-meter, and he's not in that race because of the whole Sabbath thing. So uh, Harold and Eric do not race each other. But Eric is in this other race, and the Americans, who are supposedly the fastest men in the world, they're kind of like, eh, this guy isn't going to be any problem for us. He's not used to running the 400 meter. He's used to running the 100 meter. This is four times as long. He's no competition, but Eric wins. It's a big moment. It's very exciting. And the movie really wraps things up very quickly after that. There's some text on screen that says that Harold lived to be an old man. He was the elder statesman of British sports. Eric went to be a missionary in China. He was killed in the 1940s and all of Scotland mourned for him. And then we see the guys running on the beach like we saw in the beginning of the movie. And that's it. It kind of wraps up pretty quick. And like I say, without that sort of climactic showdown between Eric and Harold that I was expecting. But because it's the end of the movie, James, I will ask you, do you think Chariots of Fire stands the test of time? So, you know, we haven't mentioned it yet, but let's talk about the 54th Academy Awards. Celebrating the movies from 1981, 
Yevne's top five films. I'll admit I've never heard of one of them, a movie called Atlantic City. Um, there's another movie called On Golden Pond. I've heard of it. Uh, and then there's another film that I've never seen, but I've always heard is just a, a classic called Reds, starring, I, I believe you might have written it and directed maybe, but uh, starring Warren Beatty. And then there's a little uh, independent film from a young whippersnapper named Steven Spielberg called Raiders of the Lost Ark, nominated for Best Picture. Whoa, I don't think I knew that. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, good for the Academy for, you know, recognizing a film like that. And then there was a fifth nominee, Chariots of Fire. And Chariots of Fire won. It won Best Picture that year. Yeah, and, you know, uh, this is the part where we're supposed to say, ah, blah, 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 Raiders of the Lost Ark is the way better film, blah, 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 blah. But the fact is, if I were a betting man in 1981 and I saw both of those films, I'd say, oh, yeah, that's what an Academy Award for Best Picture is going to be, is is Chariots of Fire. Right. Because, you know, uh, watching this film, I I have to say, there was a beautiful opening to this film with that theme and the running. But after that... Wow, was this film boring. <laughs> I felt like I must be, uh, like, why am I not getting this? This is best picture. And, you know, if you type in Chariots of Fire, boring, into, into Google, you will find a lot of results. I just think maybe it was the fact that I, I just always thought this was a racing film. So I always thought this was your Cinderella Man type of uh, sports film. Okay. But no, this is one of those films that I'll bet you some film professor says that this film has nothing to do with running because the running is a metaphor. And I'll bet that professor's right. But, you know, I got, <laughs> it just feels like it feels like a stuffy, old, boring film. I can't say it's not made well. I mean, the acting is very good. I think the people in it are good. I just, I was bored and I wound up being mad because I had to rewind parts and watch like scenes again because I was missing stuff. Like, wait, how did that happen? And I and then I'd be like, oh, okay, I don't know who this woman is. Let me look on Wikipedia. Like you said, oh, it's his sister. Let's just move on. Right. Like, that's not the way a film should be, at least for me. You know, we've watched films that I've never seen before and I go, oh, I don't think I'm ever going to see this film again, but it stands up. You know, if you've never seen this film, watch it once. You'll have a nice time. I'm sorry. I don't think I'm ever going to recommend this film to anyone. I'm not going to say it's the worst film ever. I liked the beginning. I liked a couple of the track parts. I I did like the fact that uh, the track parts in the Olympics were really old school uh, tracks. And and that's really what it looked like. I think they did a good job of that. Um, I'll say uh, this anti-Semitism plot, uh, subplot, when that was hinted at early in the film, I thought, oh, okay, well, this might be a little interesting. I actually thought they didn't really go anywhere with it. There was a film I'd seen as a kid, we'll probably review at some point, an old Brendan Fraser, I think it's an old Matt Damon film too, called School Ties. Yeah. And that's about, uh, I think a kid pretends to be Christian, even though he's Jewish, out at some Christian prep school to get in, and they find out he's Jewish, and I kind of thought that's what this was going to be, but... They didn't really go there, and they went there with Eric, that he was Christian, and this was, his Christian values were very important, but I didn't really see the point of saying uh, that Abrams was Jewish, because he didn't suffer that much real blowback to it. Also, the movie starts with his funeral service 
in a church because later in his life, in real life, he converted to Christianity, which, okay, fine, people convert from Judaism to Christianity, but that kind of undercuts the whole thing of the movie. And also, you didn't need to have that framing of this is his funeral in the church. Like, it could have just taken place in the past. Right, I agree. Like, uh, I mean, I'm not going to spoil this because it's uh, based on a true story and then the man died. But uh, if you watch the Stephen Hawking film, The Theory of Everything, it's this beautiful love story and they don't end it with, oh yeah, like, they wind up getting divorced and, like, they're not together right now while he's alive. You don't show that. You know, right. it is a weird thing to, to show that it's in a church. I didn't realize that that's the backstory of why that was. But the film probably is better than, than I than I thought. I just found it incredibly boring. So to me, no, unfortunately, it doesn't stand the test of time. I'm a little embarrassed by this. I feel like I should have liked it. But no, just boring. I don't know. What did you think? Did you see a different film than I did, Al? Did you get this film a lot more than I did? No, I also found it to be very boring and despite the fact that it's about these men who are very very fast I found the movie to be painfully slow I was watching it on the treadmill like while I was doing a run because I need to train for these races that are coming up and I was like this is the perfect movie to watch while I'm on the treadmill because I'll be inspired to keep going even when my legs are tired but like I didn't have that feeling. I was not super inspired to keep going. I was confused by a lot of the things that were happening, even in terms of like these other guys that Harold is friends with. They're fast too, and they go to the Olympics too, but one of them is writing letters home to mom, and I wasn't sure which one was which. It it was really hard to follow. And you're right, like the whole thing about Harold facing the anti-Semitism, it seemed like they were going to pay that off at the end. Like after he won the race, he was kind of sad. And there's this moment where his teammates are like, he won the race. You can't celebrate with him now. Winning is very hard. And I was like, oh, where are they going with that? And the answer is nowhere. There's a scene with him and the coach and it's like, you won. Be happy. And he's like, well... Okay, it's very, very strange, and it doesn't pay off in any of the ways you think it's going to, and that's okay if the movie's going to take some interesting turns and you think it's going to be this showdown between Eric and Harold, but it's not because Eric and Harold become great friends. Okay, I could appreciate that, but it doesn't really do anything with these two characters coming together on any level, really. They just end up on the same team because... One's from England, one's from Scotland, so they're on the same Olympics team. Cool. So? I was reading on Wikipedia, like, all the liberties that this movie took with the real-life events. Honestly, I think they should have taken some more liberties, like, for dramatic purposes. Like, that's okay. I think that's okay if a movie does that. And then you go back after you watch the movie and you're like, that was very interesting. I wonder what they changed to make it more dramatic. And then you read about it and then cool, like the movie worked. Like now you're reading more about the 1924 Olympics than you ever would have. Neat. But I feel like they could have made it more interesting than they really did. I have to say I was disappointed in this movie all around. I was bored. I'm never going to watch it again. I can't believe this movie won Best Picture. Although, like you say, actually, I can. This is the kind of movie that would win Best Picture. 
Um, I think this movie has the potential of being like a real classic story of kind of like you're saying about like what running is really all about and about these two men and their different face and how they interpret their face and how it relates to their athletic skills and everything. But this movie just doesn't connect any of those dots. So I'm going to say that it does not stand the test of time, which is extra infuriating because it's a period piece and it's based on a true story and it really should be able to easily stand the test of time and they just kind of whiff it. They really blow it, I think. I'm a little embarrassed that we both didn't like this film. Like, I feel like, should we get, like, a film professor to explain to us why this film is so brilliant? Sure. We'll do a bonus episode with that. It'll be our lowest downloaded episode ever. (laughs) Test of time, deep dives. (laughs) Volume one, Chariots of Fire. Literally no one listens to it. Um, Yeah, listen, I, I respect the fact that the movie won Best Picture. It also won for best score which okay like i don't know what it was up against in that category but this song has definitely stood the test of time um you don't know who it stood against when rares the lost ark was released in that same year oh john williams score was nominated also hell yeah although to be fair the chariots of fire uh theme is brilliant and that i will say unequivocally is amazing and completely stands up. So if you're going to beat John Williams, it better be for something like this. So that is not a travesty. Right. So I'm sorry that I made you watch this movie. (laughs) My bad. But uh, before we wrap things up, I do want to uh, shift gears a little bit and read a review we got on Apple Podcasts in Great Britain. I got an email from this company that shows you Apple podcast reviews from other countries, which is cool because otherwise I wouldn't have seen it. So I'm going to read this five-star review we got from a listener named Honeybees. That's B-E-E-Z. But Honeybees says, really enjoy hearing all these podcasts. Originally started listening after searching for an old 80s movie I wanted to hear more about, and these guys came up as an option. Been listening to all their stuff ever since. I particularly like the humor and interesting trivia they always bring to the conversation. Smart, funny, and relaxing. That is very kind, honeybees. I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you for listening. I also like that you spelled humor in the traditional British way of H-U-M-O-U-R, which makes sense because you're British. I also hope you will continue to listen to our podcast after we just kind of shit on this famous British movie about famous British athletes. And um, I hope you don't immediately regret saying all of those nice things after you listen to this episode. Thank you, honeybees. Also on that same website where I read this review, I found out that we are the number 61 film review podcast. Number 61? We're in the top 100 of like all the podcasts, like film podcasts? According to Chartable.com, we are the number 61 Film Reviews Podcast in Finland. Oh, in Finland. That's uh, amazing. I mean, right? Like, we're huge in Finland. So when we go to Helsinki, is it going to be awkward? I mean, are we going to be able to enjoy a restaurant? Or is it just going to be like, guys, I'm I'm here with my family. Please, I'll take some pap shots outside. 
Um, maybe. I mean, we might have better luck in Norway, where we're only the number 224 film reviews podcast. 24? 224. So we're doing okay in Finland, less so in Norway and some other countries, but I'm proud of us. I am proud of this accomplishment. I'm proud of our Scandinavian reach. I am too. Go us. Uh, but that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we are going to have a very special episode. We are going to be talking about UHF, a movie starring one of my personal heroes, Weird Al Yankovic. And we are going to have two very special guests on that episode. I won't say who they are now. You'll have to tune in, but you will not be disappointed. That's going to be a lot of fun. Until then, don't forget to write us a review on Apple Podcasts in whatever country you're in. I can find them in other countries now, which is cool. If you write something nice about us, I will read it on the podcast. So make sure you get those reviews in. Also, just talk to us on social media. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye.